Welcome to Ink and Pete, where memoir and Ireland share the stage. We talk with authors, guides, ghostwriters, and other free spirits drawn to memoir or enchanted by Ireland. I'm Barb Robitaille. And I'm Craig Stewart. I think that a poet is like at the root, just someone with eyes open. That's where growth is. That's where inspiration is. And that's where truth is, is when we make ourselves still and quiet and, and dissolve kind of into the bigger thing that is. Poet Caroline Holm shares in Ink and Pete episode 30, the sources of inspiration for her newly published book, Woodland. A resident of Salem, Oregon, Caroline's poetry, prose, and illustrations celebrate nature, miracles of being a mother, the dance between joy and suffering, and the richness of being in the present. Caroline offers glimpses into how, through embracing stillness, one is better able to observe and to receive the subtle gifts of creativity awaiting our discovery. As with so many wonderful coincidences that aren't necessarily coincidences. The timing of Caroline getting in touch with us about her book could not have been better or more important. It's been wonderful and perfect timing as you, as you say. Yeah. I mean, her, her poetry is really so informed by the natural world and now heading into spring and needing to remind ourselves of the beauty that surrounds us in these fraught times. Yeah. It did. She, she captures that uh, wonder and love that surrounds us all the time, and you know, knowing that uh, that we it's there for us if we just awaken to it. That's just very important right now for all of us to be in that wonder and that place of stillness in ourselves to be able to receive and and remind ourselves of life in all of its beauty and wonder and joys and sorrows as well. Absolutely. And, of course, it's, it's a very challenging time for so many, for the planet. Yeah. And, of course, you can prescribe a gazillion things to do, and which there are. Mm-hmm. And one of the, probably the most challenging one of the most challenging may be to just seek out stillness mm-hmm. and allow information to come to you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think poetry, you know, is the, the language of beauty and life and it surrounds us all the time. And there's a certain wildness in that wonder and also a oneness in that wonder that I feel is so important for us now. If we don't get that lesson this time, oh boy, you know, we're in big trouble. (laughs) So, you know, and that's part of going still and quiet is able to tap into that higher place. And Caroline in her poetry absolutely gives us that place of transcendence into that place of, of being that sacred observer of life. And she, she has been that, catalyst for those creative ideas that she talks about that are all that are there for the taking but you have to be quiet enough and observant enough 
to snatch them yeah. when they come your way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. Yeah. 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 So she, she talked about, uh, you know, carrying a notepad and a, a pencil with her uh, when she's everywhere, you know, and I, I have a friend who's a, uh, an author who years ago said, I want you to carry a notepad and a pen with you. You never know when the gods are going to give you a word mm. or even a sentence, she said. <laughs> and you can't count on yourself to remember it. So if you can just, you know, stop, pull out your little notepad, jot down the idea or the word or the sentence, and then it's yours, you know. Yeah. And I, I, I like that she mentioned that, and that's something that she does. Yeah, and Kim Stafford does that as well. It's, um, it seems like, and I, Marion Roach Smith does mm -hmm. as well. She has one. Mm -hmm. notebook hanging off of her uh, gear shift in her car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why do I always lose the pens? Are you, are you taking them? Do you take the pens? <laughs> I've tried it, but I can't. I got the notebook, but there's no pen. That elusive pen. <laughs> uh, well, well, I do hope that our listeners will head over to carolynholmpoetry.com and order a copy order a copy yeah absolutely mm -hmm. it's timely and they won't regret it and it'll help them find that own stillness yeah. their own stillness she's a very special human being and she's gifted us with these words and these her illustrations in her book as well it's like she's brought everything of herself to this book of poetry mm -hmm. and it's a treasure so i you know, I hope you enjoy the, the interview, but also just go to her website and you'll get just a little glimpse of, of who she is uh, because her, her essence comes through. And uh, order the book. It's a, it's a treasure. Yeah, absolutely. So let's put the kettle on and have a listen to Caroline Holm. Caroline, hi. Thank you for being on Incompete today. Thank you, Craig. Hi. You've just created uh, this wonderful illustrated book of poetry and prose called Woodland. You write in the front that Woodland is a love letter to the natural world and a call to awe and earnestness. I would say at the very least, that is what you've created. Aww. It's inspirational, mystical. Uh, it, it's a constant reminder. Every one of your poems is a, is a reminder of the mystery that surrounds us. And I would like to start talking with you today about how you came to poetry as your creative muse. In, in Reverie, you write, I know only that if I don't write, I turn to dust. How did you reach that realization? I have always expressed myself best through creative means. Um, I'm not necessarily musical. I love to draw and paint and dance and Writing to me was just a dialect that made sense. And I didn't really set out ever to write poetry. It's just kind of what comes out when I write. And I really didn't mean that. When I don't write, I turn to dust. It's this way of understanding things that 
I feel are being revealed through things happening or the world around me or things I'm reading. It's really just this form of processing. For me, conversation is not my easiest form of communication, but writing, that's that's the sweet spot. That's just what's made sense. And how long has that made sense? When did that come to you? I mean, I've I've been unfaithful to it at times in my life, but I have written since I was a little girl. Keep a journal? Did you? Yeah, always a think- journal and and often poems, always writing like little songs. Um, but journaling really is where it all stems from. I'm in, and I've made more of a disciplined practice as years have gone on. Yeah, absolutely. Always journaling. How does a poem come to you? You're constantly writing, you're turning to dust if you don't. How do you, <laughs> how do you find a poem that that sticks. I really believe in the idea of song catching in Native American cultures and and even in like ancient Greece. Uh, there's the idea that that songs, that art, that ideas are these kind of sentient beings on their own. That we don't create them. That we aren't full of them, but they're sort of floating around in this ether unseen. And if you're lucky enough, if you're still enough if you humble yourself, that they, they might come to you. Um, but only if you really uh, pay attention, you know, you have to be awake to it or else it'll float on to someone else. I'm sure we've all experienced like the phrase that just is so perfect and we don't stop to write it down and then it's gone and you can't get it back. Um, but I really prescribed, I heard that idea um, over and over and it really made a lot of sense. I, I feel like these aren't things that I've like created and manufactured from nothing. They're just kind of a wavelength that exists that sometimes I get to tune into and hear. Ooh, ooh! I just got, <laughs> I just got goosebumps. I love that idea of a wavelength that you just tuned into. Wow. Are there times when you you, you mentioned stillness, and um, we'll talk about your five year old in a minute. I imagine finding stillness might be a challenge in this day and age. How do you go about observing? How do you go about being still? It's that's very true. Um, I go on a lot of walks. It's kind of a ridiculous. It's kind of ridiculous how often I go on a walk. Being outside is by far the best way for me to quiet myself. Um, it's just an entirely different energy and state. But when I'm stuck, when I'm blocked, I find that like walking with a book and a notebook is a sure-fired way. I guess I would say there's a lot of things that go into finding a poem. Sometimes an experience happens and it just, it forms itself. Sometimes you're exposed to some other art that trickles into your own. But if I'm blocked, if I, if I don't have anything to write, I find that being present outdoors is a sure-fired way to just be able to hear or learn something. And I feel like really that's what poetry is is not creating something, like I mentioned earlier, but observing. You know, mm-hmm. that's the big message Mary Oliver and Rumi and all of these people are going over is just this awe, the sacredness of life, of the systems, of everything. I think that a poet is like at the root, just someone with eyes open and ready to take a note. I love that. You say, not knowing is never a bad thing if our eyes, our ears, and our hearts <laughs> remain wide open. So I guess this is sort of adding a layer to that question. How do you recommend the, that we keep our eyes, ears, and hearts open? You know, I think a daily practice of stillness, whatever that looks like for someone, for some, for me, and for many, it is going outside 
finding a place in the woods, feeling the dirt, um, sitting, breathing. For some, it is a walk to their car in the middle of a busy day or waiting an extra minute at a traffic light, taking breaths. I think grounding in presence is really the biggest thing. And that'll manifest as all kinds of things. For me, it manifests as poetry. For some, it manifests as invention or, you know, self-discovery. All kinds of things come from that stillness. But I think that stillness really is it. And that competes so much with modern life because there's so little stillness we've occupied every ounce of our time with something and with input. I think stopping that stream and finding quietness, whatever that looks like, is key to being open. With the world we live in, the modern world, and uh, the speed at which we rush through our lives, taking the time to read your poetry helps slow me down and calm Uh me down and just be still in and of itself. So I think that's a a practice that I certainly appreciate and, and can understand and feel. There's a poem you wrote. What I, I love so many of your poems. One of them you write is uh, called When I Return. Would you mind reading that aloud? Do you I have wouldn't it? mind. I do have it. I love this. I mean, I, I don't have a tattoo, but if I had a tattoo, I'd, I'd probably put this on somewhere. Wow. <laughs> That's a high compliment. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, when I return. When I return home, if my book is not coated in moss, If my hands and feet are not muddied, if my hair is not tangled with Queen Anne's lace and twigs, if I'm not walking upside down and sideways with mad and wild wonder for the world in which we live, send me back out again. I have more to learn, more shutting up to do, more stillness to seek. Nice. I... I I feel like they're going to send me back out again, but that's okay. (laughs) This will help. I think what, for me, of all the poems you, in your collection of uh, Woodland, I mean, so many of them speak to me, but I love this sort of, to me, is almost like a, it almost reinforces or underpins everything else you've written about to me. Your other ones are, have wild wonder for the world you live in. And uh, so strongly encourage people to, pick up a copy of your book. Let's talk a little bit about that. This is your first book of poetry. It was published that, by Untethered Press in Salem. That it is. And how do people get a, get a copy of your book? Uh, the book bin should have it any day now. They might even have it right now. They placed an order. It is at Ernie and Gray's Art Gallery in downtown Salem. It is at Bush Barn Art Center. It is on my website, carolinehomepoetry.com. And it is on Amazon. Who do you turn to for your own inspiration? You've kind of touched on that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I absolutely love Rumi, Mary Oliver. Right now I'm reading E.E. E. Cummings, Joy Harjo, Frank O'Hara. Oh, I love Frank O'Hara. But right now, and, and for the last several years, I found my biggest source of inspiration was from the Tao Te Ching the philosophies of Taoism. And so on its on the surface, my book is about the earth, um, but I feel like that's like the topsoil. And beneath that, it's also an observation of these systems in which everything operates. And nature is just the clearest example. But this intertwining of like joy and suffering and life and death. And to me, Taoism is one of the clearest representations of that. They've, the system 
with which it's explained is so beautiful. Yeah. So the Tao Te Ching has been fundamental to most of my writing. Well, it comes through. I have to say. <laughs> Thank you. From, uh, you know, in one of your poems, uh, Warm Cedar, you asked the question, and is anything true ever easy? Mm-hmm. Now, at the risk of, I, I don't necessarily need to pry at what was true in the rest of that poem, but I think that's a lovely line. And what, how would you answer that question today? You know, I, I would say it's, it's in a simple way. Um, it is both true and not true. You know, there are things in life that are straightforward, clear cut, um, just pleasure filled and joyful, but, but at every peak there, there is a decline again. And, and I feel like the things that are the most rewarding, the most soul satiating, the most nourishing are often, you know, the things that we've suffered the most through, struggled the most through. I mean, like the pandemic and everything, all of, all of the war, there's so many times in history when times of so much suffering and grief have birthed some of the most amazing art and, and new ways of thinking. You mentioned that in the closing of your book, uh, which I think is absolutely beautiful. When you talk to us, the readers, and I'm jumping way ahead because I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to end here. This is uh, which part are you talking about? May these words meet you in peace and abundance. And oh, oh yeah. Um, you want me to just read the whole line? Yeah, sure. Okay. This is what you wrote at the end of your book, at the end of your acknowledgments. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to you, dear reader, thank you. May these words meet you in peace and abundance, and when they do not, may they remind you that suffering is the great catalyst of growth and understanding, and that belonging is stamped on our very being. Talk to me a little bit about belonging is stamped on your very being. You know, I think that that's something that might ruffle feathers in all kinds of different philosophies and ways of seeing life and viewing the way that things are, but... I, I see it the most clearly in nature, you know, the predator and prey and, and the life and death and everything fits exactly. And, and in the moment, it may seem like, like this horrible thing or, or like this difficult thing. But when you, when you rise above that moment and you get the grand scheme of things, everything, absolutely everything has its place. Um, and so that's, that's my perspective. And I'm open to discuss more on that, but I really do believe that we are all interconnected in this life. Well, it sounds also like if I look, you don't have to look very far, but in the actual poem Woodland, you write a little bit about your own suffering. Like, yeah. It sounds like you've dealt with your own suffering. Um, yeah. And, and this, this book is kind of the culmination of coming to terms with that. And, and also I don't want to say graduating because I'm sure more is around the bend, but graduating from that exact instance of suffering um, and moving into more joy. So in my late teens and early 20s, I was hit with a great deal of illness. Um, I had been chronically ill to different degrees for most of my life, but it just all culminated and I was enduring like a a great deal of daily pain and um, depression, nausea and anxiety, panic attacks. and a, a lot of pain overall. And then when I became pregnant with my daughter, uh, it was very difficult for my body. I was in the hospital many times. And when she was born, she was in the NICU for a month. And there were so many stages and times in which we didn't know if I would live or if she would live. 
this book is kind of a culmination of all of that. And, and while it's not really a book with a theme of overarching sadness, it's very much has culminated from a time of so much suffering and joy hand in hand. The birth of my daughter was the most wonderful thing that ever happened to me. And also on that day, the most horrible thing that ever happened to me happened. And so I've seen, I've just always seen my joy and pain so intertwined and almost like they, they rely on one another. You know, I am able to feel so much joy because I have felt so much pain. And I think that that, yeah, I have, I have experienced suffering and I, I have experienced actually stages of so much resentment and, and bitterness toward that suffering. So many why me moments, um, but Taoism, but nature, but uh, philosophy, but awareness and stillness have brought me to a place where I'm able to feel actually grateful for these experiences where I feel like they've served me so much and I wouldn't really actually live my life again without them, if that makes sense. <laughs> makes total sense. And I think it shines beautifully. I, I think your book is a celebration. I feel like from, mm. from page one, and we'll talk about the drawings in a second, uh, uh, to the end, you know, this is, this is a, a celebration of being alive on, on, in this wonderful, wacky, mysterious world. And that's what comes across to me. And, and what I find really validating or, or what I was suspecting as I read your book is that you've gone through some tremendous suffering that many of us have not experienced in quite the same way. And for you to be able to write about it from your perspective as one of joy and, and gratitude, appreciation for this crazy life we're in is inspirational at the very least. It's, it's all inspiring. I mean, that's, that's what makes it very powerful wow. is um, you are able to transcend I see what you're saying when you say to your readers, may you remind you that suffering is a great catalyst of growth and understanding. You're speaking from your experience on that. And I, that really resonates. I love that. Thank you. I, so, that was incredibly encouraging. Um, that's really all I could hope that someone might take away from it. Thank you. Oh, great. It's a great work. Let's talk a little bit about your, your drawings. Is it safe to say there? I'm not an artist. I mean, I do, <laughs> I do little pencil sketches, but uh, are you using ink what they're bold they're very bold but they're very detailed what are you doing so so i drew them um originally with ink on paper and then photographed them and cleaned them up in procreate so they are partially ink and then partially digitally finished okay well yeah. i love how they they're like mirror images of the poetry Thank you. Yeah, I, I have like wrestled back and forth in my life between art and writing and deciding which I would devote my attention to. And I don't know, this this book has allowed me an opportunity to marry them together and kind of allow them to complement each other instead of compete. Oh, I like that. Yeah, they do. They do very much so. Yeah. Thank you. Is it just wrong to ask you about <laughs> is, <laughs> is it wrong to ask you about the inspiration of a poem? I mean, well, it sort of destroys the poem, right? Like it's like the poem speaks for itself, this, sort like, of thing. Oz behind the curtain thing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there it it depends on the poem, and some of them, you know, aren't even so direct as to have any one source, so it would be difficult to break them down. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't. I think it's a fair question. Certainly. Okay. Well, Hallelujah was one of those poems that kind of knocked me sideways. So, would you mind reading that? Not at all. 
How many times have I opened a gaping mouth to offerings of sticky berries, ripe with healing and skin revealing goodness, vitality, and wild strife? How often in this fleeting life have I been gifted the summer air sweet and heavy on the tongue, pooling sugar in the lungs, hanging heavy here in August citrine sun? What again was it that I ever thought I needed? I've forgotten it now in this world of Eden, and for what more could I ever ask when it was an honor to brush the blade of grass? It is all, it is all, it is all too much to witness the world, to feel your touch. This poem, you know, is kind of a conversation with myself, as many of them are, where I'm kind of coming to a reckoning. It's really the idea that uh, we don't, really need anything, or I don't really need anything to happen to me. There are so many common graces just to be had, you know, if, if I don't have some wonderful experience of ecstasy, if my dreams don't come true, if, if, you know, if, if tragedy strikes, um, there's still so much joy and generosity to be found in the earth, in humanity, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I love that. What again was it that I ever thought I needed? And it is all, all too much. I, yeah. Good, good on you. Good stuff. <sighs> you engage rhyming a lot. I love the rhyming schemes of your poems. What draws you to the rhyme and not just free reverse? I, I, I suppose that's just what comes out. Um, I grew up with reading my first, the first poems I'd ever really read were poems by like Robert Frost and Emily Dickinson and these very like classic, almost sing-songy poems. And I always had the, this desire to sing and make music, um, but I'm no good at it. So poetry is sort of my brand of that. And so there is this kind of rhythm that I hear when I'm writing out a poem. I really enjoy reading poems for that reason because I'm able to finally kind of guide it into that exact nice. rhythm. Yeah, that's well, that comes through. I love the rhythm in your poetry. And, and you mix it up. It's not like everyone is the same. Thank you. What are you working on right now? Um, I'm writing, like always. Um, I'm actually working on a Spotify album for the book um, with Alex Ebert, um, who wrote a blurb on the back. And so it's not going to be the entire book, but it'll be a pretty large portion of poems and all audio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So I'm working on that right now. Let's talk a little bit about your muse, who I would say comes in the form of a little five-year-old. Yeah, a little fairy. <laughs> She's a little, to my feral Jane Eden, who holds my heart, may you always taste your wildness. It sounds like you got off to a pretty rough beginning. Yeah, um, you know, having her birthed in me a spirit of youth that I feel like I didn't even have as a child to that extent. Um, She is so entirely unfiltered and untethered and embodies herself to such an extreme degree that it rubs off on me. Um, (laughs) Good for you, yeah. So I have a, a lot more play and um, fantastical things in my life because of her. I'm very grateful for that. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, good on you. Yeah, that's. It's funny how yeah. you kind of grow away from that. I mean, you're lucky to be such an observer that you keep that in your life. But I also think when 
when the finish line is coming and you can at least, you know, you can see the finish line coming, you kind of come back to those sorts of moments of wonder that, uh, mm, yeah. that are in the little guys. Or at least you, I mean, I so look forward to hearing what they have to say. <laughs> A little yeah. wisdom from there. I mean, they're so close to the source, right? Absolutely. I think that's what it is. And at the end of life too, you know, there's this wisdom from being so fresh to everything, from seeing everything um, as if it's brand new, because it really is. And we just become jaded to it. And then there's a wisdom of, of seeing the end of things and looking down from that angle as well. I can uh, speak to that, although I'm not ready to go. No, <laughs> but I would go if I had to. That's all right. Not a problem. Well, I think that's the way to be. I think that's what we're all really striving for. Yeah, I think so. I mean, what a, what a gift to be here, right? I mean, just to mm -hmm. be here right now, talking with you, yeah. being here right now. Yeah, absolutely. And we don't know if we'll have the next moment beyond this. Exactly. So it doesn't really serve us to cling to something no, else. No, not really. And what a time to be alive, huh? That it is. Oh, boy. Okay, this is a standard question. We're kind of getting to the place of wrapping it up. And I would guess that your answer to this question is in your book, but I'm not going to put words in your mouth. When have you found joy when you least expected it? You know, there are so many times, like I mentioned earlier, I have found that all of the most pivotal moments of my life were so intertwined with complication, with suffering or grief that I couldn't really separate the two. Um, I would say by far the birth of my daughter. Absolutely. Mm. And, and stepping into the role of being her mentor and her guide when I myself am still young, still learning and, and still so fallible and realizing that my parents likely felt like this and that this is just kind of, you know, the way that it is that we just, um, have to dwell in grace with ourselves and our children and our parents. And yeah, that's, that's it. <laughs> is there anything you would recommend to someone? I know we touched on this briefly. What would you recommend to someone who say your younger self, like before you, before you endured all the suffering or before you came to po to realize that poetry was your calling, what would you recommend to your younger self? To my younger self, like searching, you mean? Yeah. I would recommend, I think, seeking humility always is going to lead to some kind of answer. And, and I very much say advice like that, knowing that I fail over and over and over. Um, but I think it's the getting up and trying again that make up actual life. But I would say the stillness, the presence, and I wish I had utilized these tools when I was younger. I feel they would have served me, but it's all in its time. Um, but I, I feel like that's where that's where growth is. That's where inspiration is. And that's where truth is, is when we make ourselves still and quiet and, and dissolve kind of into the bigger thing that is. Nicely said. Nicely Thank said. you. It's been a pleasure talking with you, Caroline. And I just absolutely love your little book, your guidebook. <laughs> it's kind of a guidebook for getting from here to there. And it is not too much to get your book and put it on yourself. It is not too much. <laughs> so I would encourage people to go to your website, carolynholmpoetry.com. I know that on your website, which is a lovely website, by the way, Thank there you. are, you have dates of events coming up. 
Absolutely. Yes. And probably by the time this is published, they'll, you'll have gone through a couple of them, but do you have any coming up in March or April that you're excited about? Um, April 1st, I'm doing first Friday at Ernie and Gray art gallery, and I'll be reading Woodland and signing books. I'm very excited for that. And I just had a launch party last week at earth space, but that is past. And uh, yeah, I am adding new events all of the time. Okay. So people should go there uh, and they can get on your mailing list. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So that is at carolineholmepoetry.com. Thanks yeah. for the interview, Caroline. Best of luck to you. I look forward to reading more of your work. Thank you so much for having me, Craig. I appreciate it so much. Thanks for listening to Ink and Pete, a production of Memoir Tours Ireland. To learn more about Memoir Tours, head to memoirtours.com. Until next time, may you find joy where you least expect it.